Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I've been looking forward to this hour for quite a while because I love the ministry, which is search ministry, and I also love the topic, which is getting people engaged to have discussions about God. This is what search does so beautifully, is they create forums and places where people can have adult conversation about important things. It can be um, in the form of a Bible study or a informal group gathering or any event that Search puts on. If you've ever availed yourself to one of those events, you know they are outstanding. And John Hopper has written a book called Questioning God, Answers to Questions Worth Asking. And it's going to be so fun to have an hour with him to uh, learn about that book and learn about him. John, welcome to the show. Hey, good to be with you, Bill. Thank you. I'm a big fan of Search. I'm a big fan of Houston. I used to live there myself, so oh, wow. I feel like I've, I already have quite a kinship with you. Well, that's great. Well, I, I've been up at Minneapolis area. I actually, one of my degrees is from Bethel University, so I've spent some time up there, too. So, so you know right where the radio station is. <laughs> actually, I don't know where it is. Is it it's near Bethel? Well, it's right down at the University of Northwestern, just oh, down wow. the street okay. from Bethel. All right. Great. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Great. So you've already learned something from me. It's just exciting. I'm glad that <laughs> we're doing this. <laughs> and how long have you lived in Houston? I've been in Houston, well, this time since 2000. I had lived here some before. My wife grew up here, so uh, we've made our home here. Fantastic. What part of Houston do you live in? We live sort of in the northwest part of Houston, So, uh, but I do a lot of my ministry work more kind of in the more the central west part of Houston. Yeah. And tell our listeners what Search Ministry is all about and, and how you operate. And I, I think the, the the methods that Search uses is brilliant, and I, I would love for them to hear and learn more about it. Sure. Well, you know, Bill, I think kind of the biggest thing that Search tries to do is it tries to get on people's turf rather than sort of calling them to sort of a church event or a Christian event, but just to kind of go where they are. So, uh, that puts me inside of country clubs and inside of businesses, inside of homes, inside of restaurants, where people feel comfortable, where they kind of would normally meet anyway. And then we just try to set the stage where people feel free to ask any question they want. Nothing's sort of off the table, so they can express their doubts or skepticism in regards to God or the Bible, and we sort of wrestle through it and, and have some great conversations along the way. Mm-hmm. I was part of a search f- uh, focus group. Well, it must have been now 25 years ago, and it was, I think we met for four or six Monday nights in a row, and we gathered, and, and we just were allowed to ask some of the questions that we all have. And if, we, you know, obviously we were encouraged to bring a seeker, uh, someone that might ask a question like, well, isn't the Bible an outdated book? Or if there was a God, why is there so many bad things that happen to people? And And they're not angry, they're just just inquisitive. There's, tell me about, I'm a good person. I don't need this religion. Explain to me why it's so important. 
Yeah, so I mean, there's people have those questions for sure, Bill, and uh, and and many people even who have grown up in the church or you know have been exposed to a, a lot of Christianity over the years, but but no one's answered those questions, and it seems like uh, we ought to be able to answer those questions. Yeah, I think the church a lot of times, Bill, is is really good about sharing what we should believe, but not why we should believe it, and mm. so. So again, even if people are in a church for many years, they can still have those questions. And then, of course, people that uh, maybe the church is sort of foreign space for them, they've, they've got those questions as well. In fact, they kind of wonder, why are we even making a big deal about Christianity or, or God because, because of these questions? Yeah. John, would you also say that maybe the younger generation more than ever is asking the why question? Hmm. Yeah, I don't. I don't think they're quite as willing to just receive things because they're told to believe them, right? So I, I right. think that people in the past had questions as well, but but now uh, they were still kind of willing to sort of go along with sort of the party line, even though they had these questions. But now I think the younger generation is like, why even bother with sort of the Christian party line when there are so many questions? Mm-hmm. John Hopper is my guest. He's written a book called Questioning God, Answers to Questions Worth Asking. And his book addresses uh, about 15 questions, and I hope I'm saying this right, and, and he does it in a in a very welcoming style. He, he is uh, very thoughtful. And for us to have thoughtful and friendly responses when people ask these kinds of questions is important in our, our ability to connect with people and to share our faith and our hope in Christ. So, you know, one of the questions you deal with in the book is, like, and this is the big one, John, if God is real, why is there so much evil and suffering? Mm, yeah. And, you know, a lot of times, Bill, when people ask that question, they're, they're not asking it because, you know, it's, it's just philosophically bothered them for a long time. Oftentimes they're asking it because they've had their own sort of pain and suffering in their life. And so, I always want to acknowledge that because, again, sometimes people are asking it because they just want to know that you acknowledge their hurt and pain because uh, so many people have gone through uh, difficult uh, things along the way. You know, I I don't know that there's a single answer to that question, Bill. I offer a number of sort of answers to that question that sort of maybe can uh, answer different angles of it. But, you know, one of the things that I, I think is important to see is that uh, people don't really necessarily have a problem with suffering. It's that they have a problem with unjust suffering. So, you know, if, if you do something stupid, you get angry and you hit the wall and your hands really starts to hurt, well, most people are going to say, well, you kind of got what you deserve. They don't have a problem with that kind of suffering because you brought it on yourself. But when there's unjust suffering, you know, someone gets hit by a drunk driver or there's cancer where it just seems like, hey, that doesn't seem fair. Like, what did I do to get that? That's what seems to bother people. And yet, where do we get that idea of what's just and unjust? If we're just accidental creatures that are here, then, you know, some people are lucky and some people aren't. It's For us to even say that that's not right or that's not fair, that suggests that there is a, a God who uh, has sort of set a standard for what's just and unjust. John, you make an interesting point when somebody talks about suffering and you take the angle that perhaps they had their own personal suffering that feels unanswered to them. And that's what they're concerned about. And then all of a sudden you have an ability to offer some compassion and empathy and kindness, which would be very disarming. Mm. Mm. 
Yeah, I think that's important. You know, I, I think one of the things that before I even sort of get into any sort of reasons why God would allow evil and suffering is I, I want people to know that even if there are answers, it's, it's not necessarily going to make them feel better right away. You know, if a, if a mother loses a child and the child's 10 years old and, you know, six months later, God comes to the mother and says, here's why I took your child. There might be some comfort in that, right? Some explanation, some understanding. But when the child's 11th birthday comes around or when all the other kids are graduating from high school, there's still going to be some hurt and some and uh, some pain there for sure. And so, you know, sometimes understanding doesn't necessarily mean that uh, everything's all better. And I think it's important for people to understand that. Mm-hmm. I've heard also people talk about, well, I don't really believe in God because I'm more of a science guy. I believe mm. in science and things that are verifiable and, and mm. things I can quantify. So what, what kind of advice would you give to someone dealing with a situation like this? Yeah. Well, probably the first thing I would do, Bill, is I would ask people kind of where they see science and God sort of at odds with one another or science and and faith in God at odds with one another. And one of the reasons I would ask that question is um, not only to see where they're coming from, but also because what's interesting is that scientists themselves, when they're surveyed, don't necessarily see a conflict between science and belief in God. So there's a distinguished professor at Rice University. She has surveyed the top research universities in the world and and the scientists there and has asked them about sort of their religious stance, whether uh, science and and religion are at odds with one another. And only 15% of scientists believe there's an inherent conflict between science and religion. Now, if scientists are saying that, then I'm not so sure why the person on the street would say, you know, there's a there's a, a conflict that just can't sort of be crossed over between between science and faith. Mm-hmm. John, when you talk to people and they're choosing to not be respectful, um, you know, when they 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 might come out and say, what evidence is there that that we know that God is real. How do you prove that God exists? And mm. why, why are you so happy about this imaginary guy in the sky? You know, and mm. they just start kind of becoming kind of rude and a little offensive. How do you tamp that down? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, you know, usually I would tamp it down just by trying to be as, as good a listener as I can, trying to sort of understand sort of even what's behind their question. So, you know, if somebody starts saying, you know, there's there's no God, it's just an imaginary creature out there. One of the things that I would say is, I, or what I've been asked, is I'd say, you know, there are a lot of people that believe in God, and, and obviously, you know, that's something that you don't sort of believe in. How, how did you come to your place of sort of understanding that there isn't a God? Mm, great and, question. And, yeah, interestingly, you know, a lot of people can't answer that. <laughs> so um, they they have a very strong feeling against it, but they don't have a lot there uh, to sort of defend their position. And so in doing so, oftentimes I will open them up to hearing from you because they realize they, they don't have a, sort of a whole lot of foundation for what their beliefs are. Mm-hmm. John Hopper is my guest, and his book is called Questioning God, Answers uh, to Questions Worth Asking. It's a great book, and he's addressed a number of uh, questions that we often hear when we do apologetics and when we share our faith. 
we have uh, certain objections, and he has uh, put them all together in a book, and he's been nice enough to make three copies available for listeners. So if you'd like to get in on the drawing for one of three copies of John Hopper's book, Questioning God, you can text the word book to 877-933-2484. Again, text the word book to 877-933-2484. We'll continue with John in just a minute. Glad to be back with John Hopper. He's written a book called Questioning God, Answers to Questions Worth Asking. And as I even paged through the first chapter of your book, John, you just came out swinging. It said, life is good, so why be concerned with God? And you covered a lot of ground in that first chapter, loss of purpose, loss of free will, loss of justice, the loss of love, the loss of reason, the loss of identity. Uh, You came out strong in the first chapter. You know that the first chapter, Bill, is is the the question is is it's really a question that many people have today. I mean, they're saying, you know, my life's I'm, I'm good. You know, if you need a little bit of religion, that's great, but I, I don't really think I I need any sort of God in, in my my life. And so I'm just trying to help people to see that um, maybe they ought to be concerned about God more than they think right now. So. So, yeah, in that first chapter, one of the things I try to do, Bill, is to help people to see what would be true if God didn't exist. And uh, if God didn't exist, for example, we wouldn't have any real purpose to life. We would just be like Scrabble pieces that fell out of a box. I mean, mm-hmm. if, I, if, I, if I dropped a Scrabble box and the pieces went on the floor and, uh, and, and you saw that happen, Bill, and, but you said to me, I wonder what the meaning and purpose is of those pieces that are on the floor. I say, Bill, I just, it's just random. <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. So you can assign some meaning to those, those letters, but, but it doesn't really mean anything at all. And if you and I are just sort of randomly sort of created beings, it just are sort of a series of random accidents when the, sort of the cosmos spit us out, um, then we don't have any real meaning or or purpose. So we lose that without a God. We even lose love, I mentioned in the chapter, that if if there is no God, if we aren't made to be lovable, then what we call love is just a biochemical reaction to our surroundings. So today, I actually became a grandfather today, Bill. Um, you did? Congratulations. Did. For the first time, a little girl, and uh, um, I, can't, I can't wait to, to see her. But, oh, wow. Uh, I uh, I um, I know that when I'll see her, that there'll just be this overwhelming sense of, of, of love. And but if there's no God, if, if God didn't create this new little being to be lovable, then all that love is is just this chemical reaction towards this other being. So that's kind of a thin view of love, I think. Um, and so there's just a number of things that get lost that become really sort of thin if if there is no God, and that's what I try to help people see in that first chapter. Mm-hmm. 
Why do I think you have 78 pictures of your grandchild on your phone and you're already wearing that button that says, ask me about my grandchild? <laughs> I don't have a button yet, but I do have a number of pictures already. So. <laughs> well, anyway, congratulations. Is it a boy or a girl? It's a girl, yeah. Oh, fantastic. I'm sorry. And, and what did they name the girl? The, the girl is Eliza Lee. Eliza Lee, beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Okay, well, when you get to the end of each one of your chapters in your, in your book, Questioning God by John Hopper, you have some key points, which I always find extremely helpful to make sure I've read the chapter well. Um, and then you offer additional resources if you want to do some additional homework or read some additional things. So that I really appreciate because sometimes I can get lost in a book and I think, what did I just read? I get to the end and I go, ah, here are the key points. And I can be reminded of what I read, or maybe I need to go back and reread a point. So that is a very, very friendly way of uh, laying out a book. So thank you for doing that. Well, I'm glad you like that. Yeah. Um, a lot of people, John, feel they question their faith, and they ask questions because they kind of believe that God let them down when they were really struggling. Mm. And the chips were down. God wasn't there. So mm. how can how can you overcome that? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that kind of sort of goes back to the the question of sort of why is there so much evil and suffering? In other words, these things happened to me, you know, that uh, and and God didn't seem uh, to be there. So um, now, I, I think one thing that's valuable to remember is that um, our experience of God doesn't necessarily change the um, whether God exists or not. So. Um, so we might be disappointed with God or we might be happy with God, but neither one would actually change the existence of God. So if you liked your neighbor or you disliked your neighbor, it wouldn't change whether your neighbor really existed. You wouldn't say, well, my neighbor wasn't there when, you know, something happened at my house. Therefore, I don't think my neighbor exists. <laughs> so um, at best, all you could say is that I don't like my neighbor. So um but some people tend to go too far, and they do say, well, my neighbor doesn't exist or God doesn't exist. So, um, so you know, I, again, I think that sort of goes back to the question of, of why would God allow certain things to happen in, in my life that are hard or that are uh, difficult? And, um, you know, I think one of the answers to that question, again, this doesn't necessarily cover every situation, Bill, but I think one of the answers is that uh, God, um, he, he wants a real relationship with us. He could have made it so that we just kind of do everything just right and everything sort of wonderful in the world, right? And everybody treats us well and, and those kinds of things. Um, but if he just made us sort of robotic so that we all did what he wanted us to do so that everything, again, stayed nice in the world, what kind of relationship would that be? Not sure what kind of relationship it would be. Um, I, I think that uh, God was willing to risk uh, sort of things getting sort of messed up in our world in order to have that real relationship. Now, of course, that can mean that um, we experience some of the, the hardships in life, but uh, I think it's, in a sense, worth it because it gives us sort of an opportunity to enjoy real relationship with God. John, what about when somebody prays and they say very specifically to God, this is the outcome I pretty much mm -hmm. need to see happen, mm -hmm. and versus, Lord, these, this is the desire of my heart, and I'm going to put the outcome in your hands. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think, sir, the first statement is, 
sort of putting God on the a block, and you're basically saying, God, I know what's best. <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah. You have to come through and do what I want you to do. Um, otherwise, you're not a worthy God. And rather, where the second position that you stated is we're saying that, God, you know what's best. And so help me to sort of receive what you give me what you allow to come in in my life and uh and ultimately i think bill we we really want a god that's like the second scenario we want a god who knows better than we do <laughs> so um if uh if god is just taking orders from us and that means that we're <laughs> in sort of right the position of knowledge and understanding and and i, I personally i don't want that <laughs> so I, I want a god who's greater than me yeah I often admit to God, I say, I say to him, you have information about my life I don't have. I'm going to trust you. Mm, yeah, that's right. That's right. But when we try to understand truth, you know, some of the questions that people may have is, can we know the truth about anything? Mm. It's so hard what you read, what you hear, and you think, well, is that true or is that just your opinion or your mm. take on something? Yeah, yeah. And sometimes, you know, people do retreat to the idea of, well, can we really know anything at all? Um, and, and, you know, one way to answer that, Bill, is just to say, well, we sure act like we do. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, every single day we make decisions as though we know what's true. So um, whatever you ate for breakfast this morning, let's say you ate a cereal and you pulled it out sort of the box out of your pantry to pour that, that cereal you did so with the belief and understanding that it was true that that cereal had not been poisoned or tampered with. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you didn't realize you, it was all unconscious, but, but, but you were acting on that truth there. And, uh, and every day we act on things that we believe to be true. So we're not driving down the road and coming to an overpass and and uh, saying, well, I don't really know whether this overpass will hold me up, but I think I'll drive across it anyway. We're, mm-hmm. we're actually driving with this sense that it is true that that overpass will, will hold me up. And so, well, I mean, you might sometimes wonder, like, is it true or is it not true? We, or whether things can be known or not known, we, we definitely every day act as though we can know that things are true. And so, so I think that when we, we look at things in the world and we decide that they're true, um, that, that, that process by which we discern that they're true, we ought to use that for spiritual things as well. The reason we go over mm-hmm. an overpass is because we've seen many other cars go over it, and so we say, hey, there's good evidence there that it's going to hold me up. So we're looking yeah. at this evidence, and, and I think we need to look at evidence for the Bible, for example, or evidence for God. and. And I think there's yeah. enough there for us to believe it's true. Good. We'll go to break. When we come back, we'll continue this great discussion with John Hopper. He's written a book called Questioning God, Answers to Questions Worth Asking. And he's been nice enough to give three copies available. So if you want to get in on the drawing, text the word book to 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Just text just the word book. Be right back. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. 
So glad to have John Hopper as my guest today. He's written a book called Questioning God, Answers to Questions Worth Asking. He's the Area Director for Search Ministries in Houston, Texas, and he facilitates gatherings and conversations aimed at helping others think more deeply about God and life. And his book, Questioning God, is a got a number of questions that come up all the time among uh, people who are seeking a relationship with God. And if you are interested in apologetics and, and growing in your understanding of how to handle people that ask tough questions, you're going to want to get your hands on this book. He's been nice enough to offer three of them to give away to listeners. All you have to do to get in on the drawing is text the word book to 877-933-2484. And John, when it comes to the topic of hypocrisy, that gets to be a big, big struggle because Christians are so often accused of it. And if the accusation is true, why should anyone want to go ahead and believe in Christianity? Well, it is true that that Christians throughout history have been hypocritical. They've they've said things that uh, um, Christians are to be about, and then they haven't been about them. And uh, in fact, I'm not so sure that any Christian has uh, ever not been hypocritical to some degree. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, I I think, Bill, that if hypocrisy is our sort of this defining line for whether we should believe in something or not, I'm not sure what we could believe in. Because I don't know of anyone, Bill, who's able to live up to their life philosophy perfectly consistently. <laughs> so um, it doesn't matter what sort of religious or non-religious position you take. Uh, if you have some sort of standard, there are times I'm sure that you don't live up to it perfectly. And if that's the case, then you would sort of be in that sort of hypocrite position too, and you can't even listen to yourself <laughs> and sort of follow your own position. So um, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be concerned about hypocrisy. It's just that uh, eliminating a particular belief system because there are those who uh, espouse it that don't live up to it, it doesn't necessarily, it's probably not a really good reason to sort of uh, not consider that that position. You know, one of the things that uh, is true about Jesus is that Jesus did not like hypocrisy. And so uh, people may not have considered this before, but if they don't like hypocrisy, they're actually on Jesus's side. <laughs> Now, that's it's sort of an odd position for people. Oftentimes they're using hypocrisy to not align themselves with Jesus, and yet when you look at Jesus, we see him speak perhaps most strongly against those who are clearly hypocrites. And so um, uh, in that case, then, if we're bothered by hypocrisy, we actually find ourselves on Jesus' side. Yeah, what a strong argument. When people accuse Christians of hypocrisy, you can say, yeah, you're, you're, you're in agreement with how Jesus feels about it. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's great. John, what about a, a a perfectly rational person that has trouble accepting some of the absolute miracle stories in the Bible? Yeah, yeah. And so the miracle question, Bill, in many ways is a God question. So if there is a God and if there's reason to believe there's a God because there's enough evidence to do so. So if we're, if we're convinced there is a God, and I know that's a question for some people, but if after looking at the evidence, people say, okay, I'm, I'm good with the idea that there's a God, then miracles themselves, just, just as a potential, isn't sort of out of 
sort of the realm of rationality. I mean, if there is a God who made all this universe and all of its intricacy, um, a miracle like healing someone is child's play. So in many ways, the, the miracle question is really just a God question. Now, of course, for us to say that a miracle actually happened, we probably need some good evidence for that too. And so I, I think it's really valuable to say, well, is there a, 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 a clear before condition? Like, was the person blind? And is there a clear after condition? Like, do they see now? And is there any natural explanation for that? And was it connected with any prayer or, you know, perhaps, uh, you know, sort of a command, like when Jesus said, you know, people sort of get up and walk if they were a, a paralytic. So, so I think we can look at that kind of standard and say, you know, if God is there, miracles are a possible possibility. And then if we have this kind of evidence, then it is rational to believe that a miracle has taken place. Mm-hmm. What about with so many religions nowadays, and there's so many people with different religions that even live in our neighborhood, why mm. would you want to say that Christianity is the only way to go be with God? Yeah. Well, you know, in many ways, Bill, this this wasn't a question for a lot of people just even, say, 20, 30 years ago. But as our societies become more and more pluralistic, uh, the people of other faiths aren't people that live far away. They're, they're now your neighbors. They're now the exactly. people work, working in the cubicle next to you. They're the people that are serving you or you're serving at a restaurant. And so, uh, so this idea that, hey, there's only one way, that can be really um, uh, unsettling to people and, and even uh, maybe distasteful to people. So, And I get that. We don't want to be any more exclusive than we have to be. But we have to recognize, Bill, that there are some things in this world that sort of are exclusive in nature. So, for example, you get bitten by a poisonous snake um, and there's only one anti-venom that will cure you. You don't want to go to a right. doctor who says, you know, just try any old anti-venom. <laughs> so if, right. if there's, there's only one that makes you well, then you, you want to try that one. That's exclusive. But if it's the case, then you sort of want to, you know, land with that one particular anti-venom. So the question then becomes, well, is Christianity really the only way? Now, one of the things that I think is important to recognize, Bill, it's not just Christians that are saying their way is the only way. If you begin to look at the other religions, you see that they make exclusive claims. For example, you know, Christians say that Jesus was crucified on, on the cross. Well, Muslims say that Jesus was not crucified on the cross. Well, those are exclusive claims. Like, only one of them can be, be right. And so, again, it's not just that Christians are saying this is the way. Other religions are as well. In fact, my search colleague in Orange County, Bill, a number of years ago, had uh, a, a number of, sort of religious leaders as a part of a panel, and they explained their different faith positions. But the crowd there kind of afterwards, when they were polled, said, you know, we just think that all the religions really believe the same thing. And the religious leaders, when they, when they heard that from the crowd, started laughing. They said, we don't believe the same thing. I believe, you know, one person said, I believe something very different than this other religious leader next to me. And so sometimes we, we want to think that all religions, they really say the same thing when really they're all exclusive. Uh, and so they could all be wrong, but they can't all be right. And so then the question becomes, well, why say Christianity is 
is the only way. And I think, Bill, really the best answer to that is to look to the person of Jesus. And one of the great things about the Bible is that it's set in a historical context. Most religious writings, sacred writings, are not in in a historical context. They're just sort of mythological or they're sort of wisdom sayings. But Christianity sets itself in a historical context. It says that there are real people who lived in real places that did real things. And so we can look at, for example, the life of Jesus and say, did he really live? Did he really die? Did he really raise from the dead? And so we can fact check it. And that gives uh, sort of Christianity an edge in terms of understanding whether it truly is the way or not. Every religion, John, of course, has exclusive claims. And if you and I went to a Hindu meeting and we said we're you know, interested in being Hindus, but we're not really buying into the reincarnation thing, they mm. might show us the door. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know if they'd show, show you the door necessarily, but they would say you're, maybe you're not in line with what Hinduism. Right. Uh, yeah, but, but they, they, have ex- they make exclusive claims, just like yeah, every world, world religion. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. So. Yeah. What about uh, people that say Christians uh, use their faith as some kind of emotional crutch? Mm, yeah, yeah. Anyone who's been on crutches knows how painful crutches are to use. <laughs> well, but it's probably less painful than if you don't use crutches at all. And, and <laughs> I agree. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> so the reason you're using the crutches is because you have a need for it. So I'm not so sure there's necessarily anything wrong with using a crutch if the crutch is, is valuable, right? So if, it's, uh, if it is uh, providing a needed uh, support. Now, some people say, well, I don't need a, a support, um, and so only you Christians do. But I'm not so sure that's the case. Uh, a fellow by the name of Paul Vitz, he's a professor out of NYU, he wrote a book a number of years back called The Faith of the Fatherless. And uh, it's a a survey of really many of the great atheists of the uh, 20th century. And by and large, those atheists had their fathers either died when they were young, abandoned them when they were young, mistreated them when they were young. And his thesis in this book is, it sure seems to me that these persons' atheism is an emotional crutch for the lack of a father. And it's a pretty powerful argument he makes there. So it's not just Christians that could be using their beliefs as an emotional crutch. It's even atheists that could be using their beliefs as an emotional crutch. Yeah. The, question, the question, again, is, is the crutch uh, supportable or not? So is there reason to believe that the crutch is real and trustworthy? And I think Christianity does well in supporting the trustworthy of its, its crutch, you might say. Mm-hmm. My guest is John Hopper. He's written a book called Questioning God, Answers to Questions Worth Asking. He's the Area Director for Search Ministries in Houston, and he's made three copies of his book available. If you want to get it on the drawing, text the word book to 877-933-2484. John, this is a question I get quite often here at Faith Radio, and it's, it's a friend or a close family member has sort of given up on believing in God. And they they want to know what what do they do? How can I be their support system? How do I obviously pray for them? Of course, but it's a very strained, difficult relationship, and usually the loved one is freaking out that their friend or close family member has given up on believing in God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing that I would say is that freaking out rarely works. 
<laughs> so, um, you know, sometimes when someone expresses their lack of faith now, we, you know, we do get um, sort of nervous and we say, well, you have to believe in God. You have to believe in God, but um, you just have to have faith. But that doesn't in and of itself usually do a whole lot to encourage faith. I think one of the great examples is the example of Jesus's interaction with John the Baptist. So John the Baptist, uh, right, he, sh- he should have been really firm in with, with Jesus and believing that Jesus was the Messiah. He, he was the one who said, hey, behold, look, the, the Lamb of God there. And he was the one who saw the dove come from heaven on Jesus. And he was the one who heard the voice that said, you know, uh, this is, you know, this is my son, the one I love. And so John the Baptist should have been really clear on who Jesus was. And yet when he was about to die, when John the Baptist was in prison, he sent his disciples to Jesus to ask whether Jesus was really the one or not, which is amazing to me. Right? Jesus said that John the Baptist was the greatest man ever born of a woman, and yet here he is having his doubts at the end. And what's really instructive about Jesus' response is that Jesus doesn't say, come on, John, you should have more faith than that. Just believe. Rather, what he does is he points John back to the evidence. He says, go tell John that the, the blind see, the lame walk, you know, the, the deaf hear. And, uh, yeah. and it's because he realized that when he heard that, that evidence, that, that John's faith could be bolstered again. Mm-hmm. We'll take a little break. We'll be right back with John Hopper. Faith Radio and One Child are partnering together to provide faith, education, health, and positive relationships with children in need around the world. This is an exciting opportunity you can find out about sponsoring a child today at MyFaithRadio.com. After a short break, we're going to be back with John Hopper. His book, Questioning God, answers to questions worth asking. Enjoying my time with John Hopper. He's written a book called Questioning God, Answers to Questions Worth Asking. He made three copies available if you want to get in on the drawing to get one. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. John, this is a big one. If God is loving, why would he send anyone to hell? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I I think really, Bill, one of the things that Scripture lets us know is not that God is sort of waiting at the end of our life to, to send some of us to hell, but that really all of us are on that path to begin with. <laughs> so um, yeah. in, in a way, it's our default position. And uh, so where we see the love of God, even in the midst of a hell existing, is that uh, Jesus consistently warned us of uh, hell's coming, you might say, or its existence. So let's suppose you owned a large ranch and uh, there was a cliff that sort of was a part of this big property that you owned and, and uh, you invited some guests out there and, and you told them, Hey, if you're driving around the property, it's great, but be careful if you get over here because there's a cliff. All right. So 
you've provided that warning and you've you've done that out of out of love, right? Now let's suppose mm-hmm. that uh, they start to drive towards that cliff and and uh, you've got maybe some GPS trackers or something like that, and so you know that hey they're getting a little bit close, and so you you hurry over there and and you even stand in the middle of the road to stop them, right? You you put your own life at stake. Maybe even you lose your own life to keep them from going off the cliff. I think people would say, you know, that's that's that was a loving person. <laughs> you know, yeah, the cliff was there, but there was a willingness to sort of point someone away so that they didn't have to to have to to go there. And I I think that's really what's going on with Jesus. Jesus says, hey, um, yeah, everybody's really kind of not on a good track here, but I don't want anyone to experience a an eternity apart from me. And so there's a warning that's been given and then even sort of a provision uh, that costs Jesus his life to sort of keep us sort of from going that way and sort of giving us a, a new road to go on. Mm-hmm. Well said. So will God judge people who have never had a chance to hear about Jesus? Hmm. Well, Bill, I think that one of the things that's true about that question is that people are assuming, right, that people haven't had a chance to hear about Jesus. And, mm-hmm. and, and I'm not so sure that's true in this day and age, at least. So um, uh, I think that not necessarily that people have heard the same amount, but they've heard enough, you might say. So uh, I think everyone uh, really should intuitively believe there's something out there. So, in fact, the research shows us that, that even children that grow up in atheist homes as young children believe that there's something greater out there that made this. It actually has to sort of be educated out of them. Uh, uh, This sort of wonder of creation should make us think there's something out there. And then we have this pesky thing called conscience (laughs) that uh, uh, tends to show us that we don't sort of live up to the standards that maybe we ought to live up to. So here, we, we know that. We, we ought to know that there is a God and that we're not really sort of uh, living up to, to the standard. And that ought to be have us looking for mercy, you might say. And when mm-hmm. we press into those ideas, we press into the idea that there's something out there and, and I, I really fall short. God has an incredible way of sort of getting sort of the word about Jesus to people. And we see that in stories all across uh, the world, whether it be in sort of jungle environments or whether it be in the Middle East, uh, there are stories of God getting His Word, His Bible, to people uh, that can share about Jesus when people are sort of leaning in to be able to learn more. And then, of course, in this day and age, Bill, we've got things like radio, right? And we've that, uh, and we've got the internet, which is a, doing a remarkable job of getting out the name of Jesus, even to the most remotest places. So I'm not so sure how many people we could even say that never heard of Jesus. And uh, I, I, it's sort of along with my sort of previous point, there, there is such thing as culpable ignorance. What I mean by that is, let's suppose there's a gift that's in my bedroom and there's a note on the kitchen table when I come home that says, go into the bedroom and, you know, there's something for you. And my wife has left the note and I ignore the note. And then my wife says, did you get the gift? And I said, no, I didn't get the gift. I, I didn't even know there was, you know, uh, a gift to be had in the room. She said, well, didn't you read the note? Well, yeah, I read the note, but I just never went to the room. And so maybe people haven't heard about Jesus, but it doesn't mean that they are sort of without enough information to have found out about Jesus. Mm-hmm. 
I love that illustration. I'm talking to John Hopper, and his book is Questioning God. Oftentimes, people will ask interesting questions, and they're worth uh, their questions that we should be prepared to answer. One of the questions that I think comes up frequently is, isn't the Bible just a little bit out of step with the times of today? Hmm. Yeah, there are probably places, right, where the Bible is out of step with the times. It's probably always been out of step with the times, even though the times have vacillated, right? So, right. I mean, clearly in the last 2,000 years, uh, you know, there's been all kinds of different positions that the times have held. And so, uh, of course, there's going to be places where the Bible is sort of out of step with with, with the times. That's not necessarily a bad thing, right? So, um, you know, one of the examples I use in the book is, uh, the eugenics of the 1920s where uh, people were being sterilized because they were too poor, they weren't smart enough, and so, hey, we've got to, you know, sterilize them so that we can kind of create this sort of uh, superior being. Even the Supreme Court bought off on that, sad, sadly enough. Um, the Bible would have stood against that sort of sort of idea. It wouldn't have been in step with the times, and we'd certainly have to say that it was good that it wasn't in in step with the times. So just because it's out of step with the times right now, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's a bad thing and that we ought not to take a look at what it has to say. Mm-hmm. And the other question that, that I know is uh, comes up all the time is, I know I'm really in my heart, in my heart I know I'm a good person. Mm. And if there's a good God and a good place, I know I'll go there. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a fairly common uh, belief, Bill. And, uh, you know, when people tell me that, I I don't try to say, no, you're not a good person. So, I mean, there, there clearly are some people who are, you know, very nice and very kind, and they're, they're good in many ways. And yet, oftentimes when we say we're a good person, we're, we're using a standard that's relative towards other people. So we're saying, you know, there's a lot of other bad people out there, but, but I'm, a, I'm a good person. Mm-hmm. The, the position the Bible takes is that goodness is equal to sort of the perfect character of God. And when we look at that, we go, man, I, maybe I'm not so, so perfect. So it, it'd be a little bit like, let's say that we're trying to get to, to God, to paradise, and he's in Hawaii, and we're all starting in California. Some of us might be a little better swimmers than others. Some might only go 100 yards and some might go 10 miles, but no one's swimming to Hawaii. <laughs> so um, we all need a rescue boat. And uh, yeah. I think that, that's the case for even those who would say, hey, I'm, I'm a good person. Mm-hmm. John, we have obviously at, at a station, that a Christian radio station, we have largely have believers that listen. And I love that because I want them to grow in their faith and be discipled and encouraged. And there's people who have been followers of Jesus for 50, 60 years that listen, yeah. which is beautiful. But there's also a lot of people that are either kicking the tires or they're, they're, yeah. they've become a new believer. And what advice would you have for a new believer? Mm-hmm. Well, I think sort of my first piece of advice would be really sort of the instruction of Jesus. Jesus said that sort of the two most important commands were to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. It seems to me that if you woke up every morning and you said, Lord, I want to love you well, and I want to love the people around me well, it's pretty hard to go wrong <laughs> to begin yeah. in, in that place, right? So now, of course, we need to learn a little bit better how to love. So even when Jesus sort of said, love your neighbor, he then followed that up with the story of the Good Samaritan, which really kind of 
blew up the idea sort of of what it meant to 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 love other people was much greater than the person who was asking the question at, at first. And so sometimes we have to sort of get educated a bit on what it means to love God and what it means to love other people. And we do that by looking at, at God's word and from learning from other people who have taken a good look at God's word. But uh, mm-hmm. I think we can, we can keep it that simple even, just love God and love others well and learn how to do that even better. Yeah. John, thank you for the work you did on this book. This is a, a wonderful book and got a nice endorsement from Lee Strobel. And uh, it's a great book. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Well, it's great to be with you today, Bill. Thank you. And congratulations on being a grandpa today. Well, that thanks. Yeah, that's the best news when of the do, day. When, when do you see your grandchild for the first time? Do they live in Texas? Uh, they're in Florida. Uh, my wife's there right now. I'll go there next week. So, yeah. Yeah, like next week, do you mean like tomorrow morning on a plane? <laughs> <laughs> well, they're still in the hospital right now, and you can't get into the hospital really. Oh, yeah. So yeah. Well, congratulations, and thank you again for doing the show, and have a wonderful evening. All right. Great to be with you, Bill. You bet. John Hopper's been my guest. His book is Questioning God, Answers to Questions Worth Asking. We do have three copies available. If you want to get in on the drawing, text the word book to 877-933-2484. Thank you for spending time with me today. I've loved being with you, and I hope you have a wonderful evening. And as you lay your head on that pillow, know that God loves you. I do, too. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.